Brothers and sisters, welcome back to the XX Mormon Podcast. As promised last week, uh, we are bringing back Sister, the wife of the brother of Jared, for another fantastic episode. This is part two of the interview. I I expect that you won't necessarily have had to listen to the first part to understand a lot of the important messages that we're going to get across in this part. Um, but I highly recommend you listen to the first part. Honestly, one of the best interviews we've done. So I am Elder Jackson. Up here on the stand with me is Bishop Jensen, uh, the illustrious, the beautiful, the handsome. And of course, we have Sister, the wife of the brother of Jared, who we all know is the wife of brother, the brother of Jared, uh, who is a, a member of our congregation as well. Um, so if you guys would like to say hello, and then uh, and then we'll get into this. Oh, did can you guys still hear me? I think I might have uh, a poor connection. You guys, you got you guys there. I see your faces. I still see your faces. Yeah, we're yeah. good. Okay, I see you. You well. had a little breakup in the. Oh. Oh, there, there we go. Okay. Yeah. Are we back? Are we all? <laughs> we we've we never left. You. I, it's you, it's, it's, you. It's me. Okay. Well, you know we what? We can turn off video if it's here. Gonna, here's the thing. You know. Yeah. Here's the thing. The audience. It sounds to them like you guys left uh, because I'm the one recording this. So they've heard me the whole time. Uh, <laughs> okay. 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 Anyways, do you guys want to say hi and then, uh, and then we'll roll in? Yes. Welcome yes. to the house of the Lord. We welcome you this day. <laughs> <laughs> and uh sister any opening opening remarks um as we gather in the house of the lord this day um you know, peace and blessings abound you know love it okay <laughs> so <laughs> remember all the, the and intros just, out of is, mind. <laughs> you're safe you're always safe if you just say we're praying for moisture that's like the, <laughs> yeah. no matter where you are in the world <laughs> The we church is the same. We, we all pray for moisture. moisture. <laughs> and, yeah. Thank the priesthood for passing the sacrament. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. Classic. Well, they have like a specific way. We'd like to thank the members of the Uranic priesthood for the sacred manner in which they blessed and passed the sacrament. <laughs> yeah. I forgot well, about that one. That's you, good. I, th the, I think the moisture is 100% just a... North American Mormon prairie <laughs> plains. Because, like, my mission in England, we went to the temple a few times. Nobody prayed for moisture. <laughs> they probably prayed for the opposite of it. But anywhere where there's, like, Mormons in agriculture, it's moisture, moisture, moisture. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I, what You know, you need food to live, and God is the uh, staff of life or something, right? So And the grantor of moisture. And the grantor of moisture. Yeah. It's funny because I have that aversion to certain words, mm -hmm. and moist, hoist, foist, and wisps just set me off. Those are <laughs> like those I are hear those ones. words, and I'm like, so this has been a, little... a really good opening, is what you're saying. <laughs> We've made you feel comfortable. It's really made me feel the spirit. Yeah, really, really invited the spirit. Because weirdly, most of the time, the spirit did make me feel uncomfortable. What a weird, what a weird kind of yeah. But yeah. I was told that that's just how it works. That's just how it works. That's just how it works. Everybody feels the spirit in different ways. That's what I was told. Is like, why <laughs> yeah, aren't so I feeling the spirit? Oh, you just feel it differently. Uh, 
So, uh, well, speaking of the spirit, uh, you were in the most holy of holy places, uh, BYU, Idaho. <laughs> and, uh, and that's where we left off in part one. So fill us in. You are wrapping up your undergrad. BYU, Idaho sucks like we all know it does. Uh, in fact, we have an episode titled BYUI Sucks. Um, <laughs> I've listened to it. <laughs> so fill us in. Uh, tell us about leaving the school and then what, where we go from there. Word. So I'm um, sorry I say that a lot. It's like my way of saying amen. I just replaced it with word. It's all, it's all good. Uh, <laughs> um, so I left the school and I just had like a real turnaround in terms of I decided I wasn't going to do anything that I didn't want to do when it comes right. to the church. So I found out all this shady church history. I found out how much money the church has, and I could see clear and present evidence that it was hurting um, LGBTQ plus people, which I was friends with, like have been my whole life. Right. Um, so I was like, that that's it. I'm not going to pay tithing anymore. That was my little act of rebellion. And then I also decided, like, I have chronic fatigue. It's not uncommon. Um, but one of the ways that I cope with that is through caffeine. So I was mm. like, if I'm tired, I'm going to drink a coffee. And it tastes and smells great. Um, so I just sort of decided that. And then another thing is I was like, I'm not going to please men anymore and care about their opinions. and <laughs> Just yeah. sort of like just my little way of being rebellious, but still trying to make the church work. So I thought that I could right. be like this liberal rogue Mormon and not and like not leave completely and can i just say i i just gotta add that like you rebelling by not caring what men think like that is yeah like that's a red flag right there so please continue (laughs) exactly um and so i stopped publicly affiliating as a member of the church so i made new friends like at my place of employment and none of them knew that i was a member until like one girl on my last day one of my last days who was a former catholic she opened up about leaving the catholic faith and i was like well i'm gonna open the door here we are um but i was still up until that point like I was really teaching like I'm I have a talent for that like I taught really good lessons um I taught good lessons as a missionary too I would hone in on things that I believed and hone in on things that I could say authentically and just teach that so if that meant excluding parts of the lesson I would do it because I was wasn't going to please whatever anymore um and I had a bishop who I voiced my my doubts with and he just like yelled at me and said some kind of racist stuff about how my culture wasn't eternal and I was like surprise it is and you know well it's been around for like thousands of years bye bitch like (laughs) I didn't handle that I just cried and like left um and so I felt this um it's so sad because I have to use like the Mormon vernacular, but I had a prompting and sadly I have to use that word to move to Indian country to be around my culture again. And my dad had already left the church at this point. Um, And he was like, you know, come, come to Oklahoma, go to Oklahoma. Like that's where people are from. And I kind of, I fought it a lot. because I was like, well, it's where we were forcibly removed originally from Southeast, but okay. Um, And I took this little trip over the summer for like four days to come to East Oklahoma, which is like predominantly Cherokee. Um, And I had, I went to a museum, a Trail of Tears museum, because I have ancestors who were part of the 
all different aspects of the removal, dead ancestors who walk, dead ancestors who were first settlers who got there first, I have D, all the above, all the Trump. Um, and I had, so sad, I have to use the vernacular of the church too, I had a, a spiritual experience, but this time it wasn't a forced spiritual experience about how the church is true. Right. And that was another thing that would, that I now see really drives me crazy is that every spiritual experience I've ever had, because I've had many, were always equated to, well, the church is true. Like they, it's like this math equation where I'd be like, plus, plus, but it equals this, but, but the right. church is true. I'm like, what? I just, I felt connected with my, with my family. I felt connected with my ancestors. Well, the church is true. Like that's, so I didn't look at it in that frame. I really looked at um, coming to Oklahoma as something that I really needed to do. I felt that, that calling deep within me, which I now believe are my ancestors looking out for me. And when I'm in native spaces, I don't say my ancestors, I just say my family, but because I'm, you know, amongst non-Indigenous people, it doesn't make sense to me to say, y'all, like, what? Right. <laughs> I have to say ancestors to more context. Um, so I felt, like, basically prompted by my ancestors, not the church, to move to Oklahoma. Um, and I thought, because the math of the church makes you think, like, it all will point to the church being true. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, maybe my testimony will be revived, just like it had when I was 17, just like it had when I was 12. So I move out here all by myself. I don't know anyone. Um, and I land this job that I really wanted um, that paid well, in my opinion, because I'm a social worker. So we don't, we're not rolling in the dough, but in my mind we are, because I, I'm not, that's not my motivation in life. Yeah. <laughs> And I connected with a ward here, which was really non-toxic and very sweet. Of course, as the little sprinkles of the toxicity because you can't escape it, but it was really good. And I decided to use a Mormon dating app because um, I, I found some real creeps out here in the church. Screw them. Horrible. <laughs> um, so some of the men even out here were doing the creepy, you know, rapey, misogyny stuff. Um, from BYU Idaho, so I was like, "Gosh, I gotta be gotta be careful." You know, can't really ever let your guard down. Um, but I end up matching with my now husband, and even when we were just in the talking stage, um, so like I moved out to Oklahoma in like August, September. I started talking to him in December, well, November, December, um, and we would talk every day. Like the the connection was pretty pretty solid, uh, but I was really open about my my faith struggles, my faith crisis. That's what I would call it. And I told him, I'm not comfortable with this, this, or that. I am comfortable with this, this, or that. I believe this and this. I don't believe this and this. And just like really transparent. And he was cool with it. He also knew I was native the whole time because one of my profile pictures was like me and my regalia. Because mm. I felt like... <sighs> I felt like I was hoodwinking some of these guys on the app because they literally like did not want an ethnic person. <laughs> and I look to them i'm yeah. totally white presenting to my own community like i can tell but and then they'd be like surprised and it was always like a weird a weird disappointment and that came from white men and men of color it was very unsettling <laughs> i'd be like oh well i i, I thought you were white like it's kind of my preference i'm like well surprise <laughs> whoopsie um so my husband never ever had that he knew what he was yeah. getting in for um and so we were talking and um, the, our relationship was going good. I started attending, um, institution. It's not seminary, but it's for adults. Institute. Yeah. Yeah. Institute yeah. to try to keep my faith alive. So I was doing everything other than paying tithing and stopping drinking coffee. Right. I was trying and I was, you know, I was still 
wearing my garments. I'm just putting forth so much for years now. I'm putting forth this effort into an empty well. Um, but the pandemic started and that was such a game changer when it comes to leaving. Like this slow little rock on this hill that was just like, just brrr, goes right down. Yeah. Um, and we did some unconventional Mormon things because my husband moved in with me and um, I was too brainwashed to like completely live together, if you know what I mean. But he lived with me. So it was a it was culturally against the church, even though, right. you know, commandments, whatever, weren't being broken in that type of way. It was still like culturally not okay in the yeah. Mormon church to have your boyfriend live with you. Um, and, but it was really nice because my family was super supportive and didn't care and his family could not care less. They were just like, well, I hope she's nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> really, you know, she's good to you. Like she's not a crazy girlfriend. Um, and seeing, seeing the church's whole response about the pandemic mm-hmm. and really realizing that the church plan for the afterlife or just the church plan for this life zero peace it gave me zero peace of mind it did not help at all and in in any way and at that point my dad had already left the church so everything about eternal families and all that stuff like wasn't even applicable for to me my family is like so important to me and so to have this concept this idea of like well your parents might not make it is just how is it going to give me peace like and the mormon idea of heaven was like super gross to me. I was like, I don't even like these people in this life. <laughs> like, how yeah. am I supposed to? I found good wards and good branches and good people, but for the as a whole, like, ugh. Um, well, and if heaven works anything like the Mormon church does, it like it's going to be a toxic place. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. So I found like zero peace. And I was, ever since I left BYU-Idaho, so it's a little bit backwards, so I apologize to talk like that sometimes. I gave, I became fascinated with cults completely fascinated and i watched every episode of the aftermath with leah remini and mike rinder mm. uh, every episode about twice and if wow. some three times because i wanted to show people wanted to show my lds friends because i had a few from BYU. i had a few sprinkled most of my lds friends have left one of my companions i was close to is not active another one is like figuring things out she's just not in it like she used to. you know what i mean like she's not in it like she used to be but she's still a member um, so everybody was pretty comfortable with me sharing what I was learning about cults and, uh, it just didn't stop. And it went from being interested in the, the cult case itself hmm. to interested in the science and the psychology behind it. So it right. really expanded. And I distinctly remember Steve Hassan. Sometimes people say Hassan, but he pronounced it Steve Hassan on the show and he had a book and I had this feeling that was like, I need to read that book. And I found his website and I found something called the bite model, which is cult. And I was like, have you seen the euphoria? You know, that little clip where that girl goes, is this fucking play about us? Like that's how I felt <laughs> like when I was like looking, like learning about cults and learning about Scientology. I was like, wait, this feels a little bit eerily familiar. Yeah. So my, um, I think my husband was my boyfriend still or my fiance. I'm not sure. 
But I told him, I need to read this book and I need to figure out for an occult. Like I just, I'm, I've collected all this data. The Nexum drama was going down. So I was mm-hmm. learning more about like Sarah Edmondson and her husband and Mike Vicente and their journey. And again, again, this fucking, is this fucking play about us? Like I was just finding these weird coincidences. So I read this book called Combating Cult Mind Control by Steve Hassan. And um, after I read it, I was really... Uh, how can I keep how can I keep denying the evidence that I think that this is a cult how can I make this work so I started having really transparent we always had really transfer transparent conversations with um, my family who they're already like on their way out and they're like ah, oh, probably is a cult and I started having those conversations with um, my husband we end up getting married not in the temple because I was too far gone at this point <laughs> and I told him I was like if you uh you know, if you want to get sealed later, I'll I'll make that work. But my mom and my sister had a really beautiful conversation with me when I tried on wedding dresses. I went back to California to do that. Um, they had to wear masks and everything. This pandemic was still going on. But both my mom and my sister were like, you wear the wedding dress that you want. Hmm. And it does not have to be modest. You do not have to wear your garments. Like, you are getting the dress of your dreams no, like if you don't want sleeves, you don't get sleeves. Like they are very, <laughs> so I'm happy that, cause I got the dress yeah. that I wanted. I never, first off, like proportionally, my arms look awkward in sleeves. It's a long story. It's hard to explain. It's, it's we call it, it's a family curse. We, we have large arms for our women. And so, so many sleeves always like pinched my arms. and Like it just didn't work. Um, so I had like a spaghetti strap wedding dress and our wedding was beautiful. It was everything I ever wanted it to be. And the only way we were able to pay for it is because we were not paying tithing. <laughs> we were not sending that away. Um, but we had a, a really loving, wonderful bishop do the ceremony. And he just had like so much pride and love in his eyes, like no judgment or disappointment that it wasn't in the temple. Um, but throughout like our engagement and our early wedding process, the church really was a dark cloud hanging over me. Because I would always think about Oh, I got to get sealed. Well, we got to figure that out. Um, So I had that conversation with him about like, what would it take to get you to leave? Like after we were married. Yeah. And that's when he said nothing. And I was like, Oh my God. Um, My first thought was, I hope that's not true. That was my first thought was, I hope that what he's saying isn't true. He just doesn't know it yet that he's lying to me when he says nothing would make me leave. Cause in my mind, I was like, Every, knowing everything that I know about cults, that there are people that nothing would make them leave, and they're dead. Like, and they're, and yeah. it was just too much. Um, and so we had that conversation, and then we made a plan. So he touched on this story a little bit, so it's kind of funny from my perspective. So we met with the bishop. We're trying to be these good newlywed Mormon couples, because that was something I'd fantasized about for my whole 20s was being, you know, take it, going with my husband to church and we had coordinating outfits sometimes, which was fun. Um, this is a little tie. But we met with a bishop who told us, um, well, why don't you pay tithing for six months and then we'll talk about it. We'll talk about giving you a temple recommend. We'll talk about getting you sealed. But yeah. they wanted this money for six months. Yeah. And it was already after this guy had looked at my husband who's brown, right? And he was like, Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> why do you why do you lead with that? Ask me that. Where am I from? Because neither of us are from Oklahoma, but I, I have white skin, so you just assume that I'm American, but you assume that he's not. Right. Like 
why are Mormons so afraid to just ask people like what ethnicity you are? Like, like just ask that. Don't yeah. make it weird. Yeah. Yeah. They <laughs> do. They, they do the, no, no. But like, where are you from? He did that to him. He did. He like asked it twice. And then he just goes, where's your family from? I'm like, okay. So you're assuming that, which his parents are immigrants. So like, you, you know, bingo, we reached the question that he would answer. And then, um, and so then I like when people do stuff, like, this is why I call out, call, that's why I decolonize. I call stuff out like that and I lean into it. Yeah. So then I say, well, I'm from California because you just already asked him all these things. So then he was asking about my husband's, you know, ethnicity or his race. And I was like, well, I'm this, well, I'm this. Cause how are you going to do that to someone who's identifably ethnic and someone that's not just right. You're making, you're going to make it weird. I'm going to make it weirder. Right. <laughs> like, you're you're going to present it. I'm just going to go harder. Cause at this point I would already, you know, pleasing men in the church was just like, we're done with that. Like, yeah. nope. Um, so I think I made him so uncomfortable at the end because then he was like wanting to know how black my husband is that he like retreated. Because I was like, well, if you have any, you know, Native Americans, any Latinx, any black people in the ward, we'd love to connect, have a little community. And he's like, well, I don't really categorize people like that. Yeah. Okay. The... No, you were though until I made it weird. <laughs> Well, and I, I, I think that's, that's great that you, um, you almost bring up the absurdity, um, in order to showcase how ridiculous it is. This is kind of a, a lame example, a simple example, but one time when I was watching my little sisters, I was babysitting and, uh, and one of them was yelling at the other one and for, you know, not washing the dishes or whatever. And so I, w I walked in and I said, yeah, like, what is wrong with you? You're such an idiot. Wow. And I just like brought it up to 11 to showcase to the one that was yelling, like, see how dumb that is? Like, what, you know, like that's, that's, that was stupid, right? Like, who cares? And being from California, I can't speak to the whole state, but it is so normal to ask anybody, no matter what race they are, white, black, Asian, their heritage. And we ask it like that. What's your yeah. ethnicity? And all my white friends from California, they know all like the five different types of European that they are. And they just whoop it out. And they know when their family came to America. Mm -hmm. It's not weird. But that Mormon culture that we talked about of like the weird homogenous pioneer thing, they, they're very disconnected from their like actual heritage. Yeah. So they can't handle questions like that. But all these like non-Mormon people from California, they know the 10 different things they are. They know it's not weird. <laughs> And you don't ask them where they're from. You just ask them, like, what's your heritage? What's your ethnicity? And they like, they got it. Just put it on. Well, and I also think that there's, like, a, a thing in in North America, specific, well, I shouldn't say North America. I should say Canada and the United States, where if you're white, you're from here, right? Like, obviously, like, oh, you're Canadian, you're American. But if you're not, then it's like, oh, like you're a recent immigrant it's like actually my family's been here for 300 years but like thanks right like my my family didn't move to to you know the continent until most of them um until like the 1900s and it's like nobody ever asked me oh where where's your family from like where 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 are you from right um Honestly, I feel left out, but uh, yeah. Exactly. I guess That's how I felt when yeah. he was asking my husband. I was like, well, I'm interesting too. <laughs> right. Well, and I, I think too in the, in the Mormon world, there's like a, like for you, you're, you have ancestors who have 
been in the Americas for thousands of years. And so, yeah, you know, like there's this weird thing, yeah, where it's like <laughs> indigenous is treated as more of an ethnicity than white in Canada and the U.S., even though like they were, it's, it's very strange. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's, con let's continue with, with your story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that happened and I told my husband, I was like, uh, I know this game. I know this game. And I had had from BYU, Idaho, I had had so much experience with toxic bishops. I had mm -hmm. so much experience with bishops who play, you know, excuse my language, but they play motherfucking games. Like they play games. And like I had a bishop who just delayed my mission paperwork because he was lazy. And I just felt like I was on this string -a -ling, -a ling I had, um, you know, I, I knew some people who didn't pay tithing for one month mm -hmm. and their power hungry, weird ass bishop kept their temple recommend for six months just to wow twist that knife in and they paid tithing for six months without any type of you know reward i guess i that's the word i would use for it because it, it is it, yeah. it's the going to the temple and having your temple recommend is is this you know it's your subscription it's this yeah. reward and then you get there and it's like well i guess um yeah and so I told my husband, we have to do everything perfect. We cannot be late. We got to go to all our meetings. They ask us to do something. Like they say, jump. We say, how high? I said, I know this game. Um, and he had never had pressure like that because his bishop experiences were less toxic. Yeah. Um, I mean, his stuff in Argentina was like, yikes. But as far as like in the States, it just wasn't as to the to the level of BYU Idaho, like right. let alone what else is as toxic as BYU Idaho? Like it was just it was really, really bad. And um that pressure to be perfect members, the the discontent we would have, like we never really had issues in our relationship. We never really fought. We never really had tension, but the church was bringing that tension. Hmm. Um and so I'm just getting more and more convinced that this is this thing I got to do temporarily. We got to make it work. It's sealed and I'll get the F out of here. And um, I listened to a podcast that um, had three Native American ex-Mormons on it, women. And I listened to their stories and they're all identifiably ethnic. They didn't have the same story that I had. Um, and it made me cry and it made me really scared because the racism that I experienced was largely at BYU Idaho and it was traumatic, mm -hmm. but I was an adult. I was, I was a girl. I was 18 years old. They were experiencing stuff, little girls, little tiny kids. And so me and my husband would have these like really just fluid. It was never stagnant conversations about like, what's our plan? Like, how do we move forward? What is it going to look like if I leave and you stay? What are we, what are we going to do with this? And we decided, you know, Hey, our kids are going to go to a Latin ward. They'll be bilingual like you. I'm going to try to learn Spanish. Well, I will <laughs> not try. I will. Um, and then I'll, you know, I'll peep in when I want, but you know, you'll pay tithing and I'm not, we'll just hide our finances from the church from my end. Cause I've, I intend to work. Um, and we were not on the same page, but he was like so willing to listen to me, which was a huge factor. But I had this night, um, he was asleep in the bed because he goes to bed earlier than I do. And I was on the couch and I was texting, you know, my siblings, I was texting a friend that's now left the church. 
And I started to get emotional because I was thinking about all the things that I needed to do that I had to do to get this temple recommend Mm -hmm. to get sealed. And it was making me cry because I didn't want to. And because I realized that I had this like animosity, like this hatred for the church. And I didn't, I didn't like this bishop. I mean, not in like a deeply personal way, but I just, bishops in general just kind of set me off. And I didn't want to give up coffee. I, I have chronic fatigue. And I, I didn't want to, I told my husband, I was like, integrity is really important to me. And lying is like a huge thing in my culture. I'm going to lie to this bishop's face when he asks me the temple recommend questions. And so then my husband and I would work out this way where we could like, you know, kind of, I could kind of not lie and be like, well, you know, a prophet is an obscure, t- it was an obscure concept. So I could say just with the prophet <laughs> or, you know, I could, I could just, what does sustain even mean? You know, like we would, we would play this way that I could not, cause I told him, I was like, you're supposed to trust your spouse and I'm supposed, I'm going to be lying right in front of you. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm going to be lying through my teeth. I'm also not good at lying. Like I, I just, I'm awkward. Um, so we're trying to figure out a way to do this. Um, I was thinking about all that thinking about how I didn't want to give my money to this institution. And we had like just gone to the zoo and there were all these like protect wildlife things you can donate to. And I was like, I'd rather freaking give my money to help the suffering ecosystems throughout the world. Like I don't really give my money to freaking anything else. Um, and I was crying. I started, I worked myself up to cry because I was feeling utterly afraid at not getting sealed. My worst fear is being separated from you know, this man that I'm super in love with for a time and all eternity. And like, think that was just a scary concept. Like he could die tomorrow. And then what would I do? And I was, I was crying and um, my brother like messaged me and he's like, what does Steve Hassan's book say? <laughs> like, let's, let's reference that. Let's bring you back. And um, Steve Hassan had two quotes in the book that really, really hit me. Um, and my sister was also supportive because she was just like, why are you listening to some random person's husband? Like, that's all a bishop is to her. She's just like, he's just a middle-aged random guy. Like, why do you care what he thinks? Like, what, what is all going on here? And I'm like crying, but I can't lie to him. Um, but Steve Hassan said, one thing that he says is that if, if it fills you with fear, if fear is your motivator, how could that be from God? Like, mm-hmm. connect those dots for me. And then, then another thing that Steve Hassan puts in his book is that if leaving a group, an institution, a religion, a relationship causes you harm, financial, physical, emotional, psychological, or spiritual harm, that's a cult. Yeah. That's not normal. And I thought about those two things because I was, and I really let it hit me that for the past years, everything that I did related to the church was completely motivated by fear fear of the fear of this God, this God that I had thought was real. Um, and so that's kind of was my, like, it's hit me. Like I just stopped crying. Like just this weird, like <gasps> it's a cult. <laughs> yeah. It's a lie. <gasps> it's not real. Um, and after that, I just sort of supportively and patiently waited for my husband to come around. And so when he had his, his dream that he had, I was like, totally surprised i thought like man this might take years like yeah. i might just it's okay though i was i mean i wasn't i told him like a, a religion any religion no religion is going to come in between my marriage i was like that's absurd like um 
interfaith couples are normal. Like, oh God, the church makes those things not normal, but they actually totally are. Um, It's normal for you and your spouse not to be the same religion. Um, But when he decided to leave, I like literally cried tears of joy. (laughs) Yes. Oh, bless you, Bishop. We just saw him sneeze. He's muted, so (laughs) so he couldn't hear it. But blessings abound. Blessings abound. Um, Yeah. So I remember when we interviewed your husband, it did seem like fast, uh, like hearing his story. We were like, oh, like, and then that was, that was it. Like, and then you, you were done. And he's like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You just snap like a little toothpick. Like, Like, it's just, he was done. (laughs) I think like the majority of members of the church are looking for a reason to leave. Uh, Like, I think a lot of them are there because of fear, right? Yeah. You just and blew me away. That's deep. No, no, they are. <laughs> They're all looking for a reason to leave. This is how I know it, is that when my wife left the church before I did, and I go to church, and basically all that the guys in Elders Corps want to ask me is, oh, so your wife doesn't make you do any of that stuff that my wife makes me do? How do I get that deal? Yeah. Like that nobody really cares about my personal spirituality because they assume there is none. Yeah. They're not like, are you spiritually Damn. suffering over this? It's how do I get to be as lucky as you where my wife's also not coming to church, but I still feel like I'm doing the right thing. Right. Because my wife makes me do all this dumb shit and I don't want to do it. She makes me go to the temple. She makes me, and it's even like a joke at church. Like, oh, if it wasn't for the women in the church, us men would just be hopeless. Yeah. And it's like yeah, awkward laugh, true. awkward laugh. Because it's like, we don't want to be here. My wife makes me do it. It must be because women are so much more righteous. But then even the women are like, I don't want to be here. I want to have a life of my own. I've just been told that I have to be a, a wife. Yep. My, I'm gonna swallow some jeans. That just blew my mind. <laughs> like, yeah. I think you're. I think you're right. I just never had that. I think I've like, never so, had those conversations. That was what happened with me. I was about as dyed in the wool as you could get. But I was as dyed in the wool as you could get because the fear of disappointing my family and my community terrified me. Yeah. And I thought that I could meet everybody's expectations by being the best Mormon I could possibly try and be. Um, there were certain things that drove me insane, which was church. The the functioning of the church bureaucracy is so inefficient that I couldn't bite my tongue in meetings. But like just and I could not help but express my frustration for showing up at these useless meetings. That was kind of where I would crack. But overall, I would try to do everything that I could do to be a righteous Mormon. But then when my wife and I moved away from uh, the city I grew up in, which was, it wasn't predominantly Mormon, but it had a lot of Mormons in it. It It's like the Utah of Canada. And we moved to another part of the country with like, you know, one or two strong wards out of the three stakes that are here. And and then my wife stops going. And then I'm kind of like, maybe it is a load of bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) i'm finally free and clear of enough outside pressure to think for myself maybe this whole thing just sucks damn right and i think i think a lot of people are in that i there's probably one third that loves the church there's one third that doesn't give a shit and then there's another third that's in the closet so really two thirds are just looking for a reason to not be there my humble opinion and observation Hey, I'll, I'll take that to the bank. One day when I write a book, that's yeah. going to be in there. I'll cite you. Yeah, you'll say Bishop Jensen. <laughs> he said, I, I mean, that that hits me. I just, 
I was culturally never cool enough or like in enough to have those kind of intimate conversations with very active members. Like mm. ever since I left BYU Idaho, I wouldn't say the, this. This wasn't particularly intimate conversations. This was like banter in the hallway. Oh, your wife's not here. What's going on? Uh, she just doesn't believe anymore. Like I didn't. I was just like, ah, she doesn't believe in the church. It's not working. What else do you want? Church is asking me other invasive questions. I'll just slip my wrist for everybody. Like, oh my you want my social insurance number? You want my tax return? I don't give a shit. All you guys want to be nosy? I'll tell you everything. Oof. Um, and so they're like, oh, like she doesn't believe? I'm like, no, she doesn't believe in anything. Oh, so like no garments? Nope. No garments. No temple? Nope. Family home evening? Nope. Prayer? Scripture study? No. Nothing. Like, nope. They're like, oh. Cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god. So it wasn't like good buddies. This is just like, where's your wife? I'm like, she doesn't believe. What else do you want to know? And I, you go <laughs> I would even say, I, I would argue, sister, the wife of the brother of Jared. Um, I, I would argue that you were in that position with people at BYU Idaho. You had people come to you and tell you these these things about their experience in the church and with bishops and with boys in the church that were damaging to them, uh, that you were a safe space for them. And uh, I remember I, I became similarly. And then even after, after I left the church and people knew that I left, um, I like there are a lot of people in the church who tell me their concerns. They're still in. They're still fully active. But they'll tell me their concerns because they know that I'm not going to be their bishop who just asks them to pray and read their scriptures more. Damn. Yeah. So I, I would argue that, that we all have, have that experience in, in some way. And it sounds like you did a lot at, uh, at BYU-Idaho. Um, but now you've left at this point. Um, how long has it been since you were like, I'm done. Like, I'm, I'm out. I can leave. This is a cult. And we're, we're past this. Um, well, since I had my records removed was March because my husband came to those conclusions like the first week of March. Okay. Um, but I mentally was like, I said to him a few months before that, um, by the way, if the listeners hear that sound, it's like me making my lips like vibrate, like like the air sound. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's me. If you're like, wow, what's wrong with the sound? Um, (laughs) anyways, I had wanted, I had said to him like in February uh, around his birthday and like January around my birthday, I said like the moment that you're done, I am okay with that. So that was like, um, so I've been out for like six months, I guess, really, really, really out, Um, struggled for like five years with the church. And then when I had my like little moment when I was crying and I realized like, this is a cold. That was, that was a long time ago. That was like the fall. Okay. That was like October. Um, Cause it was after our, our wedding. And like, that's what I really hate is that even when we were, you know, like the happiest days of my life, the church was still a start cloud over. Cause it was mm-hmm. like, well, what are we going to do about getting sealed? And I hate that. Even when I got yeah. engaged and he proposed to me, I thought to myself in my head, like, are we going to have to have a temple wedding? Yeah. Like, I've never, I've not wanted one since I was a little girl. <laughs> like, I've wanted one since I was a child. Yeah. Um, 
and then at our wedding, I felt the need to like apologize to like the the LDS. I still have some friends that are active LDS. It's like explain to them like, but we're gonna get sealed, and I'll I'll send you an invitation for that. And you know, my mission president and his wife, I think I did that too. I was like, well, we'll, we'll get sealed. Like, no, like right. No. <laughs> Instead of just um, enjoying the so, moment yeah. and enjoying that time with each other, you're thinking, oh, but what about Jesus? Right? Like, what what about the church? <laughs> The, um, the math, ugh, the math isn't mathing. So yeah, know. yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that is that. That's something that I never really thought about. That, like, even in these great moments that should be these wonderful, special moments between people who love each other, uh, there is this dark cloud. Um, I get, yeah, with with a lot of things, uh, there there is that dark cloud of of the church in there. Um, yeah, but speaking of Jesus looming over things, I want to have this conversation of decolonizing after the church. Now, we don't have like we don't have a ton of time left on this recording. Um so we might have to do like another whole episode uh, another time. Why, do, why don't we just but break here and, and should we why break we break here and and do another one? Should we break here and just do another one? Are you good to do yeah. another one? We have I like I am this this is this is um, you know, my Lord and Savior is bashing the church. This is my <laughs> salvation. This is my. <laughs> so I know, I know in part one, I told everybody that in part two, we would be talking about decolonizing after the church and have, have that whole conversation. But it looks like that's going to be in part three. So come back for, <laughs> for that. Um, I feel, I feel bad because we're really doing this uh, Mormon stories, stretch things out more than oh, they need God. to be. Kinda, but you let me talk, kinda, so you're not. No, think... we're keeping it in like less than one hour segments, so it's okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, it's digestible. It's like a three course meal. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we we've gone through your story growing up. We've gone through your crisis of like actually leaving, and then next time we're actually going to go through the decolonization. And I think for that we'll also want to um, we'll want to talk generally about it too, because I think you know for you coming from a position um, where you have actual like native family, like you are a native uh, American person, um, like a lot of people might think, oh, well, decolonizing for her is like the, the acceptance of her real history instead of like this Lamanite thing. But there's a lot more to it. And it's not just for indigenous people, like white people need to decolonize themselves too um and, and kind of release themselves from all of these colonial and imperial ideas that like jesus loom large over us uh white jesus, yeah. Like, yeah so um with that i guess we'll close does somebody want to close us out i closed this out last time uh bear their testimony and then we'll uh close out here bishop bishop i don't yeah. want to close it out i want I want for the first time for a woman to close out a church meeting, That's but true. at the same time, I don't want to make her feel like I have to give her my permission to do that. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there waiting for her to talk because I don't know what else to do. Um, I, I, I am just, <laughs> I'm in a perpetual state of indecision as a white person not knowing what to do as a white cis male. <laughs> Um, I, I right? close this meeting in the in the name of um, Mary Magdalene because she was dope. So. Oh, I love it. Amen. Amen. <laughs>